This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Today we're bringing you a panel discussion called Being Black in Maine, Lived Experience and the Prospect for Change. It was recorded via Zoom on Martin Luther King Day. The speakers included moderator Daryl Fort, leadership development consultant, Tanya Bailey Curry, clinical social worker at Bates College, Nancy Diamond, SAD 22 educator, Madison Hemingway, UMaine student, Ricky Hall, USDA NRCS civil engineering technician, and UMaine student Tessa Solomon. The event was co-hosted by the University of Maine Alumni Association and the Bangor Area Chapter of the NAACP. This is an excerpt from a longer event and it has been edited lightly in places to address some audio quality issues. Um, we are six black Americans who are coming together here tonight to share um, in some respects our story and in many ways our own vulnerability. And these types of forums have gone on um, for a long time um, in different ways and, and I think have served different purposes. But uh, I was sharing uh, a while ago um, with John that um, I participated in a similar forum back this spring. Um, and as much as I felt like um, the, the effort around that event was sincere, there was an element of voyeurism related to this. And I feel a sense of, of um, both care uh, and a sense of love for the people who would come here tonight and share a little bit about um, what their experiences are here in Maine. And I would invite folks who are listening to listen um, with intention, listen with a sense of uh, appreciation for how it is that you can show up in the world around racial justice in a way that might not um, be the same way you had before, that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, that might involve some sacrifices um, that you had made in the past, but I think to do that is to respect what each and every one of the people that are gonna speak about this issue tonight um, has been willing to bring. Um, as much as we're here to bake and expand community with ourselves um, and everyone here that's listening, um, there's also um, an amount of, of emotional expenditure involved in sharing what our experience have been so uh, I'll start in terms of introductions and then we'll go around and I'll invite folks to, to introduce uh, themselves, um, say a little bit about yourself, um, where you are and, and, and maybe a little bit about your history here in Maine. And then I'm curious to hear about what, how you're feeling sort of in this moment in time um, in this particular uh, Martin Luther King Day in 2021 following the year we just had but I'm coming to you from Portland, Maine. Um, I'm a graduate of the University of Maine. I lived in Bangor um, for a number of years, but I'm somebody whose family moved here from away. Um, something I was asked very often um, when I'm introducing myself to people, particularly in Maine, um, where are you from? Well, I'm from Portland or I'm from Bangor. And oftentimes I get an immediate follow-up question. No, where are you from originally? Um, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that uh, moving forward, but but 
that, but that part of the experience um, was one of the things that, that shaped sort of my feeling about uh, how it was to live in Maine. And there's a sense of, of in-group, out-group involved in that, where for me, um, there was never a 100% um, sense that um, this was a place in which I belonged, even though um, I've got tremendous roots and have made tremendous um, relationships here. And, uh, you know, it's something that I hope um, processes like this can help serve to change for, um, for everybody, but certainly in younger generations of Mainers, Black Mainers, Mainers of color um, around creating a community here. So why don't we move around uh, the panel and I'll start um, with Madison. Maddie asked you to, to say hello, introduce yourself and, and say a little bit about um, how you're doing tonight. Okay, so good evening, everyone. I am thrilled to be here, honestly, just to speak on behalf of myself. And, you know, obviously, that's really all I can do. I'm only one person. But um, I'm Madison Hemingway. I went to Belfast Area High School. I graduated in 2018. And I'm currently a sophomore at the University of Maine. I've lived in Belfast. Um, I lived in Belfast my whole life, obviously, up until moving up to Orono. And, you know, I did have some struggles coming um, right out the gate. I was the only child really of color, I guess you could say, in my entire elementary school. And it really stayed that way um, up throughout uh, middle school and high school as well. My high school actually put out a newsletter saying that we had a 97% Caucasian student population. So realizing that and, you know, where I fell into that was pretty hard for me. Um, but going off of what Daryl said, you know, I always thought to myself, do I really belong here? Like, is this where I'm supposed to be? And I think, you know, it's hard waking up every day and going to school and not seeing anybody that looks like you. It's just like, you don't, it, it's something that I guess I buried for a while just because I didn't really know um, how to deal with it. But I've come to terms with it now. And, you know, the only person that can determine whether I'm meant to be here or not is me and whether I want to continue to surround myself with people who understand that or people who don't is really where I'm at at this point in my life. Uh, MLK day today, honestly, it, it's been a weird day. It's been a weird year, really, honestly, altogether. But I don't know. I feel like today it's it's just hard. We have we can't celebrate things like we normally do. Um, it's been a lot of social media uh, posts for me personally. Um, but that's not really how I like to do things. I guess it's just, you know, adapting to COVID. But um, this day is still as important to me as it ever has been. Really, I think more important than it ever has been today. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to be here and I'm just happy that I was able to receive this opportunity. So thank you, John, and to everyone who's here, um, supporting me as well. Thanks, Maddie. Tessa. Hi, I'm Tessa Solomon. I am a sophomore here at the University of Maine. And like Maddie said, I am just so grateful to be here today. And one thing. I think is the most important for me on today, MLK Day, 
is just being able to be comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. I know as a panel, that's something we all have on the front of our brains today and every day is the start of change is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And one of the parts of my essay that it's always going to stick with me, I know for the rest of my life is the example of my teacher and feeling uncomfortable like this month and this day and everything that leads up to it. Cause I was the only one. And I want to make a point to say that was never the fault of my teacher. It was the fault of a culture. Like Maddie said, I was the only one that looked like me in my classroom. So already if I'm uncomfortable with myself because I look different than everybody else around me, it's some, it's a weight that not everybody has to carry. And I never want anybody to understand that feeling, but we have to be willing to educate ourselves and to have these conversations. And that's why I'm so excited for today. And to, I'm just so willing to be here today because without that first step of education, you can't change, you know? So again, thank you guys so much for having me. Awesome. Tanya. Thank you, Daryl. And thank you, uh, Tessa and Madison. And for everyone, you know, all of my fellow panelists for, for being here and for, you know, um, expending the emotional labor. And, and I'm going to talk about that. I think you guys will be tired of me saying that by the time that this panel is over. But um, I was born and raised in Lewiston, Maine, where I still reside today. I am also a graduate of the UMaine system. I graduated from uh, the USM School of Social Work in 2017 and really have felt um, blessed to be able to work in the field right away. And I'll tell you one thing that has really um, risen into my own consciousness around that is, um, you know, Black women in particular, and I speak from that lens, um, we have been holding these conversations and manifesting um, these conversations since the beginning of time, and now is no exception to that. So for me, what this today means, it's, it's really more of, for those of you that are listening, um, the time for us of expending this type of emotional labor without appropriate change from those who hear it and benefit from it is, um, is over. And I say that not in a, um, with malice, I say that with um, pain and trepidation that we could easily duplicate that again and again and again. And um, I am old enough to be Maddie and Tessa's mother. And they're, they're sharing the same story that I had when I was in school. And so I'd really love for us to, in another 10 years when this is aired, to say, I can't imagine what that would be like because that wasn't my experience. And um, so I'm really hoping that today is the beginning and serves as a catalyst for change. So through the sharing of all of our lived experience, it's, it's not so much about capturing it in the moment and then saying, oh, that was nice, and then going back to your everyday life, um, but really what's the call to action gonna be for you? And um, hopefully our stories and our lived experience can be part of um, change that is felt for all people across me. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Rick? Hello, everybody. Um, first of all, is I'm happy to see everybody here in good health. Um, in light of the pandemic, that's still 
pouncing on our lovers and those clubs. My name is Ricky Hall. I'm a Bangor resident, have been since 1983 by way of Birmingham, Alabama. I'm um, currently employed with the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, Natural Resources Conservation Service, to be more specific. And um, my time here in Bangor has been actually, to put it mildly, fairly untrying. Um, the, the community in which I've been living in over the years has been very uh, 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 more or less harmonious, if I may. Um, and of course, a lot of it stems from my own personal um, attitude. Um, of course, you know, how we carry ourselves is so important uh, as to how we will be perceived by eyes looking upon us. Um, I've had a few minor run-ins, but nothing like my years in Birmingham. As a child in the third grade, that was the time that 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed. Um, and of course, shortly after that were the marches in Birmingham in which the dogs were released and the fire hoses were um, so harm harmful and for lack of a better word, um, to the masses that were participating in these peaceful demonstrations. And just to reflect 1963 to 2020, it's like the same thing all over again. But not in Bangor, Maine, thank God. Uh, but the rest of this country, you know, it has been an eye-opening experience for all of the citizens of the United States of America. But today's event is about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I remember mentions of him as a child uh, about the news report of media, if I may, uh, declaring every time he shows his face, start trouble, they're gonna be jealous. And for some reason, it just stuck with me. Of course, the third grader isn't interested in those events, but you know, when you're in the midst of it though, it's really difficult to separate yourself from it. Day is a new age. That's what I say, but not really. Nothing has changed. Um, I think it's a little more blatant than it was 50 years ago. Be that as it may, you know, we're here to try to make life better for all of us. And I'm honored and it's a pleasure to sit on this panel with everyone else. And I hope that this develops into a very positive event for everybody that's observing us. Thank you. All right, thanks, Rick. Nancy? Hello, hi everyone. My name is Nancy Diamond. The current speaker is SAD 22 educator Nancy Diamond. There are some issues with the audio quality here, but they do resolve quickly. You are listening to Main Currents on WERU-FM. This is a live panel discussion called Being Black in Maine, Lived Experience and the Prospect for Change. It was recorded via Zoom on MLK Day. 
My grandfather uh, came from Canada in 1896. And then in 1901, my grandmother came to Bangor and they were married here. And there's been a diamond here since then. Uh, there have always been black people in Maine. Um, as documented, we go back to the Popham Beach um, settlement from England. Uh, it's been documented that they found um, African artifacts. So um, we have always been here. We've always been a part of this state. And my family, uh, the Diamond George family, um, very proud, very proud of who we were and who we are. And I listened to Tessa um, and to Maddie, and I too had um, negative experiences growing up being called names. And the think the difference with me and for me is that I had a strong black community behind me. Um, and eventually the community dwindled as um, people fought in World War II, moved away to the cities for um, more, better jobs, better job opportunities, education, cultural opportunities, but still um, had this small but mighty community. And even though um, there were times that were difficult and you know, belonged here. This was my state And um, the folks, black people have um, always made contributions uh, to their communities. We continue to today and we will continue to as we go forward. I think today um, what I see in all the crazy that's going on around us, what happened at the Capitol this past president has emboldened the white supremacist movement to come out and just be in, be in your face, basically. And it made it something very violent. And so that piece is there. But I also think, you know, the NAACP in Bangor has always had white allies. And probably the majority of people who are um, part of this event today, you are white. And I think the difference is, though, is that it's time to educate yourself. And it's time to um, become really at least more understanding in that allyship and that we really need to come together and work together. And even though you're, you're not a person of color, um, you can at least understand that experience more and understand your reactions to things. And so that's what I hope that we can um, really begin with this panel and that um, we're here, uh, we're positive, we're, you know, we're always ready to, to do our part. We always do our part. We want you to join us and really that we can come together at this crossroads, a critical crossroads in the United States and um, the next phase of the civil rights movement. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. This is a panel discussion called Being Black in Maine, Lived Experience and the Prospect for Change. It was recorded via Zoom on Martin Luther King Day. The speakers included moderator Daryl Fort, a leadership development consultant, Tanya Bailey Curry, clinical social worker at Bates College, Nancy Diamond, SAD 22 educator, Madison Hemingway, UMaine student, Ricky Hall, USDA slash NRCS civil engineering technician and UMaine student Tessa Solomon. The event was co-hosted by the University of Maine Alumni Association and the Bangor area chapter of the NAACP. 
This is an excerpt from a longer event, and it has been edited lightly to address some audio quality issues in a few places. You know, I'm going to pick up in a place where you just left off, but this relates to um, education. And one of my heroes growing up, um, one of the first voices that I remember that felt heroic to me was James Baldwin. It kind of went down a line. It was James Baldwin, Barbara Jordan, and for anybody who knows what what the sound of their two voices actually felt like to the ear, will recognize sort of why a young boy um, would feel drawn to and sort of moved and inspired um, by them. But one of my favorite quotes by James Baldwin is, um, people are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. And that goes in a lot of different potential directions when we talk about um, the culture, um, people's emotional lives, our social lives, our political life, our systems um, in which we live, but there's a, there's a, one of those systems involves the sort of educational system that Nancy you're deeply a part of and you just evoked in terms of in terms of education and and you know I know one of my uh, experiences not just in because I'm originally from New Haven not just in Connecticut but after I moved up here um, was this sense of um, who I was and where I was from is absent from the history that we're being taught. So I'm wondering, I'm opening up to you, Nancy, or the rest of the panel. I know Tessa, Maddie, you're both in school right now. Um, what's your sense of, how do you, how do you feel about um, the way in which our educational system sort of represents what our experiences are um, and what our history is. And, and what do you think the consequence of that is, um, whatever that answer is? Um, I can start off. I know one thing that Maddie and I have recently talked about is um, this year was the first time in a class I had read anything by a Black author. And that was assigned by my teacher. I realized. I had lost a part of myself because I wasn't able to experience that. You know what I mean? I was never given the chance to broaden my horizons. It wasn't given to me and it's something I would have had to seek out for myself. And I've talked to English teachers from back in the County where I'm from um, since I've read that book and to watch their responses as to how they want to implement black authors into their curriculum and why they're just questioning this now. You know what I mean? Why am I 19 in 2021 now? And I just read a book by my first black author. You know what I mean? It's just, I feel like we're at the point where we need to start questioning these things. And why am I just like, I felt like I gained a part of myself by reading his words. I think, um, just speaking on the side of education, going kind of off of what Tessa said, I think that these works of Black authors and, you know, artists and other people need to be worked into the classroom more. I remember sitting in, you know, my high school history class and we're watching, you know, all of these horrible events that had gone on during um, the 60s and times like that and just really during the whole civil rights movement and people always like 
classes love to emphasize, you know, all of these terrible, tragic events that had gone on. And, you know, they try to say, oh, you know, but, you know, the world's not like that anymore. We've moved past that. And thank God for that. Well, not really. Like, we really haven't evolved in in a forward way away from racism. And it, it just, it it hasn't been like that. So I think instead of, you know, continually highlighting all of these terrible, terrible things that happen, we need to, yes, of course, focus on them, teach them because they're important to know about. But we also need to teach the experience of real Black people, of real life Black people who are still continuing to live in this country today and experiencing these things today. Because, you know, you can see it as a white person, but you'll never understand fully how a Black person truly feels and what they have to go through every day. So I think incorporating these different works and books and pieces of art and movies and things like that and really trying to understand how it actually feels is what's important instead of, you know, leaving the classroom and being like, oh, well, I'm lucky I'm white. Like it it needs to be more of an understanding. And I think that's really where education is lacking at this point. And like Maddie said, just to jump on that before we get too far, one thing my dad told me a couple years ago, then it still stuck with me, is we talk about history as if it's a story and not something that we progress from, not something we learn from even, or something that we're dealing with today, but as a story, as if it's just in the past, because it's just our history. My history is something that affects me today. It's something that affects me tomorrow. And we need to stop looking at history as if, oh, it happened and we're here now. Yeah, picking up on that piece of it, what do you, what do you think, Tessa, Maddie, um, other um, panelists, what do you think the consequence, we talked a little bit about what it feels like to have um, where it is you come from essentially erased from an educational system that's supposed to, t- that is telling a story about us as a nation, right, and who we are as a people, right, so that that speaks a little bit to, to, to us, if I, can, if I can use us as sort of a black experience. What do you think the consequence is? Um, and I know Baldwin had a lot to say about this. Um, what do you think the consequence is for white folks um, and other folks who are also devoid of the history of, of us and who we are and, and by, uh, by definition them as well? I personally, for myself, I believe that um, when our story, and when I say our, I mean ours, those of us on the panel, right? When our stories are not found in these history books, we, number one, we can't connect to what we're being taught. But number two, those that are teaching us and those that have benefited from the way that things have been, then have no sense of accountability. So then things don't change. We have days like this and we have months like February, Black History Month, where it's like, oh, this is your month, but the rest of the months are ours. So when you can't ground into something and you can't connect to it, then you can't grow. So it stagnates us and then continues to move other systems forward that don't benefit people like us. So it keeps us trapped where we are and moves forward agendas that that will never include us. That's mine. I spoke earlier about my sense of contentment living in Bangor. You know, however, anytime, thank God I have, it hasn't happened often, but 
any and every time that I have been pulled over by a police officer, I've always been cordial, respectful, and so forth. But in the back of my head, I will never be able to explain to a person who is not black or of color the, the intimidation that goes through our brains when when that event is occurring. You know, um, people say talk is cheap, um, but, you know, we have to talk about it. We have to stress these moments, you know, to try to get the message across because we're all God's children, you know, and we're all brothers and sisters in this world, regardless of our skin hues. And along that line, we got to find a, a, a sense of neutrality amongst all of us. Again, it's a, it's a pipe dream, but I think if we try to play our cards right, we might move a little closer in that direction. I am a, I just forgot to say I'm a University of Maine a graduate with a degree in education. I taught for 12 years in Bangor, and now I'm an EdTech 3 in the Hamden School System. So uh, one, well, I think one of the problems that we don't learn about us, other people don't learn about our history, is then it leads up to um, media. And they sometimes the only black people, other, you know, like white people see are on TV, or um, they think everybody plays sports, or everybody's a singer, or, and it, so it can lead into, you know, these stereotypes. So that's why it is important to have books about black people, books with black folks in them. And one thing about when I was teaching, I teach with the littles, like K through two, and I was a second grade teacher. And I remember when I uh, moved back home in 1990, um, I was working at the university, went into the bookstore, and here were all these books. So I was like thrilled. And, and it was so great to bring those books into the classroom and to use so, so many of them as read-alouds. And for the kids to be able to see them and look at them and find also um, chapter books that had kids of color um, in them. So that was, that was wonderful. And to be able to, like in social studies and science, to be able to bring to life some of these important people that otherwise the kids wouldn't know about. I have to give a huge shout out to RSU 22 where I work now because we have an education equity committee and recently asked a few of us to find books that can be ordered for the school libraries for kids to be able to read. And that was wonderful. And so making that effort, seeing where the failure has been and correcting that and then encouraging kids to read these books, people that don't look like them is great. And then I think the other thing too is to have us in public education, in the public sector, because most of the kids where I teach, I'm the only black person that they really come in contact with on a daily basis. And that's a good thing. And it's been a good thing. And there have been some really cool, wonderful, teachable moments. So that's the other thing we talk about, the economics and the hiring. Daryl, if I could, if I could jump in and just piggyback off of the comment about representation. Um, you know, I think the one common thing that I find um, where we, there's a hiccup in the understanding of what 
the importance of representation is, is um, whether it's books or, um, you know, having employees, especially in a professional capacity of color, um, it, it is not only to serve as representation for other Black folks, it's representation so white kids and white employees also see us in a professional capacity, also see us as leaders in our communities and in our classrooms. And that, you know, without the two of those things happening, then we are just teaching ourselves about Black excellence. We know we're excellent. We need others to recognize our excellence. So the only way that we can do that is to have representation across the board. Yeah. And Tanya, and on that note about representation, uh, my position with the uh, Natural Resources Conservation Service, well, uh, we used to be called a Soil Conservation Service. Before being hired by the USDA, I had never heard of the Soil Conservation Service. I always thought the USDA was that blue stamp on your stake. Um, I had the opportunity to apply for a position there. I went in for the interview and I ended up turning it down because the dollars just did not add up. And so when I once I reflected on it, I wanted to kick myself because I was denying myself an opportunity to get my foot in the door for a federal position. I wrote the state conservationist a letter. I explained my position. And, uh, and that's to be reconsidered. You know, I told him straight up that I was looking at the dollar figure and, and uh, it just didn't add up for me. But I realized I made a mistake. What I'm getting to is affirmative action. At the time, there was one person, well, not, I can't say person of color, but there was one black employee in all of Maine with USDA and affirmative action gave me the opportunity to, well, gave them the thought, I should say, to call me or to allow me to reapply for that position. And so I don't think affirmative action has been a handout per se, you know, how I think it's been very effective. And here I am 33 years later, um, it's been a job that I've always appreciated. It's, you know, right up my alley. I'm out in nature when I'm out of the office and and great. But I just wanted to stress the point about about um, equal opportunity. You know, that's so important in this world, in this country, in this state. And I think uh, as we keep, you know, as we live each day, uh, I think those opportunities, they are coming out more more uh, prevalently, but still slow though. People, because we have individuals in powerful positions that has the final season and they can make that judgment on the spot. We got to open their eyes to, you know, to open their arms for acceptance for everyone. Thank you. I think one thing that you said that really um, remind me of something that's occurring is recognizing your wrongs, recognizing your rights, you know, we have to be willing to call our friends out when something is said that makes us uncomfortable. You know, my dad said to me literally yesterday, if you hadn't said what you said, 
how can you expect them to learn? You know what I mean? How can I expect somebody to know what I'm thinking if they don't have to live with this burden that I live with every single day, you know? And it goes right back to, I can learn just as much from you as you can learn from me. And again, willingness to have those conversations and to take those opportunities and to share those opportunities, not just with your friend or the people you know, but with everybody in like learning from people that don't look like you, you know, it's, it's just so important to be open and to be willing to do those things. Yeah. Thanks, Tessa. I think it's interesting because I think uh, about the, the balance, um, both the weight that we often have to carry around that, around education um, and the balance that's necessary um, to negotiate any of these issues. But, you know, I think about this particular political moment where the language is as stark and as clear and as sharp as we've heard it probably in five or six decades, sort of demanding a kind of transformation that's kind of been dormant for that period of time. Um, and it's a shock to folks to hear some frank and direct articulation of what um, some of our experiences are, um, but none of it is new. So I'm curious if folks could share just a little bit about even in the last six, seven, eight, nine months, particularly during this time of pandemic and this time of, of sort of uprising and movement, um, share a little bit about the experiences that you've had trying to talk to people who may be in your lives who you may feel like, well, this person is an ally or this person is a friend, um, but perhaps they, that person had a little bit more to learn in terms of how to, how to listen and a little bit more stamina potentially that they needed to build around their own sense of discomfort. You think anybody want to share about any of that? You're listening to Main Currents on WERU-FM. This is a panel discussion called Being Black in Maine, Lived Experience and the Prospect for Change. It was recorded via Zoom on Martin Luther King Day. I can um, speak on that if that's all right. I um, had a situation, you know, this summer with a friend of mine. Uh, we currently are not friends for other reasons, but it felt good. Um, just it, it just still feels good to talk about this conversation because I left with a lot and so did he. Um, but he is, you know, he he didn't understand the the looting and the rioting and why, you know, if people are protesting that Black Lives Matter, like why people need to destroy things and loot and riot. And I I had to sit him down and be like, like, it's not, it's really not about that. That is the pent up anger and frustration and things that have coincided from these past events from hundreds of years ago from, you know, back in time that and it's just come out now. And it's not so much about, you know, people wanting to destroy things or wanting to, you know, burn down buildings and businesses. It's it's for the attention piece of it. Like, th this is why this is happening, because enough is enough. Like, we're tired. We are so tired of fighting every single day just for basic human rights, which is something that, you know, you get to live with with no issues whatsoever. And not saying that there's, you know, not racism towards other people, but it was just like, I had to really sit him down and be like, listen, this is why this is happening. It's not because these are what these people are choosing to do. It's because 
well, I mean, it is, but because um, everybody's just been so angry for so long. And, you know, for him to be like, okay, like, I understand that. That doesn't mean that I agree with it, but I do understand why it's happening was just huge for me. So the fact that I could sit someone down, explain to them why these current events are going on and for them to actually grasp the concept and understand what I was saying made me felt more respected as a person. Like not only just in my friendship with him, but as a black person myself, I'm like, okay, like it feels good to educate people on, you know, our history and why things are happening today. So the fact that I could just walk away knowing that he understood more fully than he did before, it was just like a really rewarding feeling for me. Thanks. Um, One thing that I wanted to share that happened recently with the storming at the Capitol, I and Maddie knew people that went there that day to witness what happened for whatever reasons they decided to go. And at first I didn't think it was going to bother me um, as much as it did, but it took a really big impact on me to sit back and say, you are people that say you love me, that you support me, but you're there at this event that clearly does not support me. That clearly does not love me. And so I sat there as they were gone for the days that they were gone And I just, I thought those thoughts over and over and over again. And I decided not to say anything. Um, But then they came back and for the first time I saw them and I got to have like a real conversation with them about why that hurt me like it did and how that wasn't okay. But I was just so shocked by their response because they had already changed as people. They went and they witnessed something that they didn't realize they were supporting because they're from Maine, because they're from this small place. They think they just saw something that they weren't expecting, you know, and to tell them, like to have them tell me, I'm sorry that I never understood you when you said this. I'm sorry that I went there for these reasons. I saw what I saw and I want to be better. Like I want to be educated. Like I needed to experience that to grow as a person was absolutely mind boggling, but it gave me so much hope that if I can have that conversation and see that change within my friends that are 18 to 21 years old, that that is my generation. Like these are the people I'm going to grow up with. These are the people I'm going to change things with. You know what I mean? So again, like it all for me just goes back to willingness to learn. And even if you have to experience it in the negative way, like they did, some people like live by experience. You know what I mean? Willing to be uncomfortable, willing to be, be, to have feedback shared with them that was uncomfortable, that was critical. Um, but they responded in a way to your call in a way that made it feel like that they, they cared enough about you to be reflective. It just sounds like a human thing. It really does. Uh, Tessa and Maddie, I, I give you a lot of credit for um, challenging your friends and for talking to them about this is what hurt me because they needed to see that and they needed to hear that. Um, over the last several months, um, I cannot believe the number of people who I've known for years and years who I've had to take to task on uh, social media because the first thing, of course, we talked about was the riots and the burning and the looting and the this and the that. And I said to them, I said, you know, when did a building 
become more important than people. Look at what the people are saying. And, you know, I've had to block some folks. Um, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. But I, I went through a period where I was really, you know, challenging people a lot. And I just kind of had to back off. But interestingly, they probably blocked me too. I didn't had to get them to see how I was feeling and to look at the Black Lives Matter movement for what it really means that, that you just have got to stop killing us um, and that this is not okay and enough is enough. So um, it was really interesting. And um, as a person who goes to church, a lot of these folks were church going folk too, which is um, mind boggling, truly, truly mind boggling. So I, I, you know, you saw, you see where people really come from. But it's okay to challenge them because this is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable, hard stuff. And you know, hopefully we're going to be we're going to be in this for the long haul. This is the long haul. And I'm hoping that folks will be in the long haul with us. It's not going to be easy, but ultimately um, I think it will be freeing. And um, you know, when you're free, when your your heart and mind are free to receive um, different opinion, then that's when the good work can begin. I think, I think for me, you know, a couple of things happened. Number one, my circle got a lot smaller. And, um, you know, I think we were facing, we are facing two pandemics simultaneously. And, you know, from the health perspective, you know, your circle is supposed to be smaller. And the other pandemic helped that happen for me because what it brought into my very clear view is I had some folks in my life that were willing to support things that would hurt me and people that look like me. And I had to recognize, is that really a connection that I wanna to continue to foster and who's benefiting in this role? So I had my own work to do around that as well and realize that just because this is how things have been, doesn't mean that that's the way that things should be. And so really I fine tuned and did a lot of self care around I'm no longer going to carry the weight of this relationship with this person that is so rigid in their thinking that they can't grow. And in another aspect, I had some really difficult conversations with some, some white folks that, you know, their fragility was so intense there around their whiteness that they couldn't see that they had changed changes that they needed to make in order to fully start to understand or even start the conversations of understanding. So me too would say to those folks that you have work to do that's independent of me and I can't be the burden of your learning. So I'm going to love you from a distance and let you dig in. And when you're ready, you can come back and we can start having a conversation, but it can't be at my expense. You know, and I think we are in a state where we are so impacted by you know, the bystander effect, that's their problem and they're going to work that out. That's, that's impossible because we've been waiting 401 years for a seat at the table. So now what we've done is we've placed the leaf inside of these tables to make them longer and we're sitting ourselves down. So I'm hoping that we continue to make room at those tables, but it can't be at our expense. 
So I think that we have work to do, but we also have, for Black people in particular, we have the absence of um, safety in Black spaces. And we all have the ability to, to create what that looks like. You know, there are spaces that are, the default is white in our country. So every space is a white space. Where are our spaces? Where can we grow? Where can we get support around these issues? And um, sometimes that means you just have to create them. So I'm hoping that we can start some of that framework here today. Right on, thank you, Tony. As, as I've gotten older, my circle has really uh, diminished as far as um, you know public activity and so forth. You know, um, the Black Lives Matter movement right now, uh, I follow it as close as I can. I am not an active participant in it. Um, as a member of the Masons, we don't take part in secular issues per se because our membership is very diverse. And so we kind of limit ourselves in as far as uh, a lot of that involvement goes, especially on the, on the, on the radical side of things, if I may. Um, but sometimes radical is essential because that's the only way the people ears will tune in. You know, otherwise it's just a go in one ear and out the other. Um, I think this is a necessary evil right now that we're going through as far as Black Lives Matter goes. Um, it's just that personally, you know, I, I just hate to be a hypocrite about it. And so I'm, I don't give it a, a personal endorsement per se. And thank you, Rick. So I'm, I'm thinking around, this is around the time we're going to start to sort of wrap up this panel. I want to thank um, folks for your willingness to share um, and to sort of be honest um, to, as Tony was expressing earlier, to expend some of the emotional energy it takes to talk about some of these things um, in an honest way. Um, to do it while being observed um, is an element of um, expending energy around this. But before we before we sign off, I wanted to, to offer folks in this in the spirit of I think Tanya's last story about <laughs> about growth, and it just made me reflect on the fact that um, it really doesn't matter what what time of development you are in your life. <laughs> um, then transitioning here um, towards growth potentially in different in different ways and in different spaces at some. Folks want to offer um, just a word towards where do you feel like we need to grow as a as a culture, and what area do we need to grow? For folks that are listening, sort of thinking about an area of growth, I know I'll offer one for me, and and that's in, in the area of critical consciousness, being willing to let go of a sense of the story of who we are. Right to unlearn the story of who we are and be willing um, to relearn something more about who we are in, in order to, to to let go of some of these emotional investments in in some of these systems that have harmed so many people for so long. Be willing to let go. 
One thing that Tanya said that I really think I would love to leave with is the point of the personal burden it is to educate and having that point of education and cutting ties because of how that burden feels. And I think the biggest thing we need to remember is we need to be able to forgive others and forgive ourselves because when they turn around and they tell me they've learned me being able to grow as a person with them is so important. And if you really want to become educated, you need to start with looking at yourself and forgiving yourself, including me, because I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And you need to start with that piece of forgiveness and moving forward on how I can educate myself, calling yourself to action. You know what I mean? So I think that's honestly the most important thing for me is those conversations need to be in a productive setting where we can be open and vulnerable and just able to listen to each other. Thanks, Tessa. I think um, for me personally, and just also for everybody who's listening, the most important thing I feel like is just to be open, like be open about your experience, but also be open to hearing other people's experiences and taking that and interpreting that yourself and being like, okay, how can I learn from this? What do I do with this information? And how can I be a better person because of these stories that these people have shared with me? So I think it's just really critical to to be open um, and listen to what these people have to say to you. These people on the panel that I'm accompanied with myself, but also people in your own life and just the stories of historians and other people from history. Like be open with that and just know that these things really did happen to all these people and take that with you know, whatever may come and just learn from it and continue to grow because that's really all you can do. I love that um, Tessa brought up vulnerability. I think that is so important um, because we cannot connect each other truly and authentically without being vulnerable. And um, that's a scary place to be. But also I think that we have to do a continual assessment of our own environments who's in it and who's not? And if not, why not? What is, who are my friends? If you're an employer, what do your employees look like? If you are on a board, what do your board members look like? And if you don't see, if you don't start to see or implement change in those areas, why not? And, you know, allowing ourselves to speak up in real time when we see something that isn't right or somebody said something that struck a chord and it doesn't sit with you. Everybody's got a family member like that, right? Let's start having these conversations in real time when they happen so change can start to form. Nancy? Oh, there we go. Um, I think for me, uh, it's it's educating myself. I've been reading a lot of books uh, lately to keep educating, to keep understanding how systemic racism formed and when it first began, it began with laws and reading that history. Um, there are going to be opportunities. There's going to be a lot of, you know, anti-racist training in my district. And that's going to be really interesting because there are people who uh, don't think like I do. And to be able, um, as uh, Tanya and Tessa and uh, Maddie have said, to be open and hopefully they can be open and willing to talk as well. 
I feel good. I feel good about being a part of this and to continue to um, have a presence in my community, a positive presence. And uh, that's, that's what's important with me. And also that I get to connect with other Black folks from different parts of Maine. This is really, really good. And I hope that we can continue to, to keep that and to make it grow. And that's, um, that's exciting. That's very exciting. Thank you. Thanks. Rick, last word. Um, I guess the most important thing we need to, well, for me anyway, is outreach. You know, we've, we've got to be willing to, to reach out to those who think differently than ourselves. Um, of course, be open to that outreach, but we have to start somewhere. And so, you know, I guess, you know, the next person that we encounter, um, we shouldn't be reluctant to talk about what's happening in the world of politics. Of course, those are dangerous issues or topics, politics and religion, but how are we gonna calm the situation that we're in right now? You know, we've got to come to a common understanding um, of personal positions and, 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 ex and acceptance for each and every one of us, you know, for, for our other halves, our better halves. And I'm not talking about spouses, but I'm talking about our neighbors, you know, our, our, um, our, um, our work associates and so forth, our church members. You know, we've got to be able to talk about these very sensitive subjects to try to come to a head, you know, as to, uh, come on, we, we have to find some common ground somewhere, cause it's out there. You've been listening to Maine Current's independent local news, views, and culture. The panel discussion you heard today, being Black in Maine, lived experience and the prospect for change, was part of a Martin Luther King Day event co-hosted by the University of Maine Alumni Association and the Bangor Area Chapter of the NAACP. It was lightly edited to address some audio quality issues in a few places. The voices you heard were those of moderator Daryl Fort, a leadership development consultant, Tanya Bailey Curry, a clinical social worker at Bates College, Nancy Diamond, an SAD 22 educator, UMaine student Madison Hemingway, Ricky Hall, a USDA slash NRCS civil engineering technician, and UMaine student Tessa Solomon. I'm Amy Brown. Join me for Maine Currents on the first Tuesday of every month at 4 p.m. here on WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock coming up next.